Well, hello, everyone. Um, I want to start our conversation today talking to those of you who were late this morning. No shame. No shame. But isn't it funny how when you're given an extra hour, <laughs> nothing changes? And again, no shame here. When I think about this, I'm not thinking about, wow, you couldn't spend that extra hour better? What I'm thinking about is what we spend that extra hour on. Um, daylight savings, um, I had to do our, our March one, which is the bad one where you lose an hour. Um, and, and I still remember the night before thinking, I'll just drink more coffee. I, I talked about that in the morning, how I felt guilty that I was relying on coffee over the Lord. Um, but then it came to this one, and last night I was staying up way later than I intended, prepping, thinking, oh, well, I get an extra hour of sleep, and then I went to bed an hour later. Um, and so it's, it's funny how things don't really change that much. And I, I think a big part of that is that the picture in our head of how we do things doesn't necessarily change even when the situation changes, right? For, for some of you this morning, that, again, if you're late, I'm not, no judgment, but you woke up at the same time, you, you had the same plan to get here, and normally when you get here, you're late, and then you came here this morning at the same time. Again, no judgment. I do this too. A, a lot of times we say, I want to do something different, or I want to do something better, but, but then the standard and the script in our head is exactly the same, and it's, it's because of that we, we just kind of wonder, well, well, how did it go the same way with all this new information? And I, I think a lot of times that's our Christian walk, right? Like we, we know what Jesus has done. We know we have the Spirit. We know we have this incredible gift upon which we get to live our lives differently. We get to live with life in a way that humanity could not do before the cross and the resurrection. And yet we still kind of look the same. And so we're going to talk about that today. Uh, we've got two weeks left in our First John series from the beginning. Um, and we're going to today kind of review the series. And some of you might be thinking, well, then what are we doing next week? And we'll get there. Um, we'll get there. We're going, to do, we're going to look at the final verses because John kind of reviews his book right before his final big idea. And so we're going to look at that next week. But today, we're going to kind of review what we've looked at these last eight weeks and I hope and pray that, that at the end of today, you'll be thinking, all right, how can I change that little script in my head to do things a little bit differently, to, to pursue something a little bit better? And again, this isn't about what time you show up to church. It's just a great metaphor this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Um, Father, we thank you that you are so good. Um, we thank you for your followers, your first followers. I, I thank you for John, the author of the book we're looking at, um, who he, he loved you so much and you used him in such mighty ways. And as we look at his letter, his desire for the church as all the apostles are, are dying out, they're, they're either being killed off or they're just in old age. I, we thank you that his desire was to pass on to the next generations a picture and a script of what it looks like to follow you well. I pray for all of us today that we would not settle for something less than what you would have for us. And I pray that because we will settle, that you would use this community and your spirit and just those in our lives who love you to help us not stay settling for less. I pray we would move towards you, that we would experience life 
Um, and, And Lord, I just thank you that we have the opportunity to have life in you. I pray you would speak through me this morning. These would be your words and not mine. Um, And I thank you that we get to gather here together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open up to 1 John 1. Um, I'm going to review the last eight weeks in kind of a brief fashion. And I hope as I do, you realize, oh yeah, just every week has been the same thing. Um, And some of you are like, well, if it's all the same thing, why did it take eight weeks? And we'll get there in a moment. But 1 John 1, 1 through 4 begins, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. If you go back to the first week of this series, we talked about God as life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. When we examine that word out to the end, which we did the first week of this series, you see that that life is nothing less than, than a relationship with God because he is our source of life. In 1 John 5, 11, and 12, Tim talked about this last week. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And I, I want to draw your attention, just in case anyone's missed it through this series, when we talk about life, it's talking about the life we'll have for eternity, And that life starts the moment we become a believer, the moment that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, the moment we have the Holy Spirit, we have life, because life is found in communion with God. And so because of the blood shed by Jesus, which we will celebrate and remember later today, because of that, we have access to life. In John's writing, life is seen as living in God's creation, following his purposes for us, and being in right relationship with God and each other. We're called to love God and love others, and that's the big idea of life. After we talked about life, we spent four weeks on God is light. Um, and the, the verse behind this, uh, the, the very next verse in First John, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, if we go even one verse further, it starts to talk about the pattern of how to have life. We have life in Christ because of what he has done. God, who is light, invites us to walk in light. And what is walking in light? It's, it's not sinning, but then because we all sin, we all fall. It's for those who call Jesus Christ their Lord. It's, it's confessing that sin in community. It's, it's telling people, I, you know, I'm struggling with this. And it's allowing people to speak truth into us. And it's allowing us to put our faith not in our own justification, but in the blood of Jesus that has cleansed us from our sins. About four weeks ago, um, the month is so blurry, but like four weeks ago, Rich and I were up here and we actually did this. And then hopefully you went and did this in your small groups where we shared our testimonies. We talked about successes and the way the Lord's been working in our life over the last year. And then we talked about struggles. Um, And I I, want to tell you that that's one of the most important things we can do as believers is to follow that pattern. I actually, the, the happiest I've been in this series 
Um, and it's not that I've been unhappy in this series, but there was a moment this week, a small group leader called me, and he told me that in their small group, at the end of small group this last week, somebody shared a struggle, and all of a sudden, the small group, he was like, it's like we started Light Week all over, and people were kind of sharing some struggles and how they'd been overcoming the ones we'd talked about, and people were praying for each other, and we were living out that pattern from three or four weeks ago again. And, and that's the goal. Light in John's writing is seen as perfect righteousness, which we cannot attain, but can experience through confessing our sin and putting our hope in the blood of Christ. Finally, we've been talking about God is love the last, like, three weeks. This, this week in our series is called Love Week or God is Love. I don't remember what the title is. Um, if you're an early adopter of our curriculum, you have a version of the book that actually has a, a sticker over week nine um, because I, I put the wrong title there. Um, and so you might have a, a special edition with a sticker that you can't pull out. Um, but um, we, we've been talking about God is love, and, and we've been talking about this from the, the key verses, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Um, if any of you are salty fans, you'll sing this. No, I'm not going to sing it, but um, does anyone know who salty is? The, okay, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Um, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We've been talking about this big idea of love. And, and um, borrowing from DC Talk, love is a verb. Um, do you guys at least know who DC Talk is? Every time I say DC Talk... No one responds. And I'm like, I don't think this was a fringe thing. I think they were a big deal. Um, but this is pre-Jesus Freak. And if you look at the Love is a Verb music video, it's weird. But um, God is love. Love in John's writing is seen as an action done for someone else with no expectation of response, which is perfected by our obedience in laying down our lives to follow the example of Christ. Now, those of you who have been reading our small group curriculum may notice this is a little different. Um, I'm it's a, it's a continually evolving definition because I think the one thing that has been standing out to me in this series and as I talk to people is we talk about God is love and the biblical definition of love. The biblical definition of love cannot exist outside of obedience to God because we see, and Tim talked about this over the last couple of weeks, we love because he first loved us. Our, our, the love we do is an example of the way Jesus has loved us. Love is an action much more than a feeling. If our love is a feeling, it's cheap. Um, and in fact, if our love is a feeling, a lot of times I think we find we just love ourselves because we, we can't make someone else feel a certain way. We can only have our own feelings. But um, when we talk about love as an action done for someone else with no expectation of response, I, I always think about there are times where I do things for Jess because I genuinely love her and want to show her that love. And there are times when I do things because I want something in return. And, and when I want something in return for my loving action, what is that except loving myself? And, and so, so this picture of love and obedience to what Christ has done, the, the perfect act of love, the most perfect supreme act of love is when Christ died on the cross. And you can say, well, we're required to respond to that, but, but we're not. We're invited to. And, and so, so this is love. And I want to tell you, I, I hope some of you, I actually talked to someone this week who in their small group, someone pointed out, it seems like in order for us to do love right, we have to do light right. 
Um, and, and I think what happens is, is God, who is the source of life, if we want to experience life with him, if we want to have fellowship with him, as John calls us to have, the first thing we need to do is walk in the light. And how do we walk in the light? We live in obedience, which means we love one another. And if we're loving one another, we're experiencing the life that God has. And it's this circular pattern that just goes and goes and goes. The most complicating thing about the book of First John is that there's this thing in it called amplification, where John has just kind of one big idea, and he's going to use all these different images to make one point over and over. And it's if you want life, if you want the life that God has created us to have, you're going to do that by living in obedience to him, which means you're going to love one another. And loving one another is in how we lay down our lives for one another, in the way we act with one another, the way we serve one another, the way we confess our sins to one another, because that is an action of supreme love to share with people our struggles and to share with them how God has helped us overcome. And and so as we come to the end of this, I want to tell you my fear. This is my deepest fear as I wrote this curriculum. And you may say perfect love casts out all fear, but that's related to judgment, so I can have fear, okay? Um... My fear is that for a lot of people, at the end of this series, we'll say, wow, that, that, I, I've heard so much encouraging things from our small groups, but at the end of this series, I'll hear people say, yeah, I remember how good that series was. The end. And six months from now, I'll hear people say, man, I remember light week. That was an incredible week. But they won't have done it again. I, 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 my, my fear is that what's going to happen on the other side of this series is we're going to kind of go back to our normal pattern and we're going to say that was good, but that took work. And I'd rather just kind of go back to what I was doing before. And I've been trying to think for a couple weeks now how to talk about this. And um, I think I've got an idea. And I'm going to try it. And so today we need to talk about chocolate chip cookies. And if you'll look under your seats right now, no one looked. Dang it. I, I thought this was going to be funny. I was going to, so, and now I'm talking about it, so that makes it even worse. When people looked under their seats, I was going to say, just kidding, but Jess, who's watching from home today with our children who have runny noses, Jess, if you look under the couch you're probably sitting on, there are crumbs, because Lucy and I ate chocolate chip cookies yesterday. So that joke failed, and I had multiple people tell me it would, and I did not listen to their encouragement, um, and so I walked in darkness there. But I, I want to tell you all about chocolate chip cookies. Um, I, make, I, I am not a baker. Um, I don't have patience for baking, but there is one thing I will bake, and I bake well, and it's chocolate chip cookies. I've recently added peanut butter vegan cookies because... Um, Jess can't eat chocolate chips or anything dairy because of Levi's allergies, and so um, I've had to make her cookies to offset that I want to make myself cookies, so I've been learning another recipe. But the only cookies you ever need to make, in my mind, are chocolate chip cookies. And I have a recipe I follow every time. It's a five-ingredient recipe with brown sugar, no granulated white sugar, you don't need that, uh, dark brown sugar, butter, flour, chocolate chips, and then it's got like a little bit of salt and a little bit of vanilla extract, but, and I think an egg. Um, but I've been making these cookies for years. And I know exactly how I make these cookies. And when I make them, I've, I've learned our oven. Our oven is not as hot as it's supposed to be, so I know the timing. I, I know all the steps to make perfect chocolate chip cookies every time. 
They're a little bit thick, which makes them better for dunking and milk. They're, they're, they're wonderful cookies. In fact, when I first started making them, I discovered... Um, this is not me. This is from um, Insider.com. There was a baker who explained all the things that could go wrong when you make cookies. And said, if your cookies look like this, you put in too much baking powder, to which I say, you've got the wrong cookie recipe. Or too much egg, to which I say, what are you doing? Or too much flour, to which I say, what are you doing? There, there should never be too much flour. Overmixed, I've struggled with that. I'm going to be honest with you all. Sometimes I mix them too long, especially when I've got the stand mixer out. Too much butter, I've never had that problem, but I've often had the problem of I let the butter melt too far or like get to room temperature and then the cookies aren't the way they should be. Mixing all ingredients together, younger Matt used to do that all the time. No egg, to which I say, why? If you put the egg in, they're healthy. Too little butter, not a real problem. Too little flour, I've been guilty of that. Too little sugar, why are you eating cookies then? The, the, the point here as I talk about this, is that, that there's a picture in my mind of a perfect chocolate chip cookie. And on my own, I'm reasonably confident I can make it every time. But I've decided in the last three weeks, and I've been waiting for the day for, for about a year, but in the last three weeks, when Lucy turned two, Jess and I agreed that I could start making chocolate chip cookies with her. We, her first two years of life were basically sugar-free, um, and now all of a sudden, we are having wonderful times baking cookies together. And I think fellowship is a lot like baking cookies with toddlers. And I'm going to explain it. Um, so this is a picture of our third attempt. We made these cookies yesterday. And for the second service, if I inserted that joke right here and said, in fact, if you look under, would that go better? No, no, I'm just going to get rid of the joke. But um, thank you all for your feedback. But um, so Lucy, Lucy has been helping me bake cookies. And remember, I know the cookie I want. I know what it tastes like. I know the density of it. I know what the cookie dough looks like. I know all the steps to making that cookie the right way. But when Lucy started helping me make cookies, I realized this is going to be a much different process, a much messier process. And it's going to require me to have some integrity. So I made rules for making cookies with Lucy. And you all think I'm joking, but I'm not. I actually thought about these before the first time we made cookies. The first one is that Lucy has to really help when appropriate. And there's two reasons for this. Um, and, and when it says when appropriate, that means I'm not letting her put things in the oven. She's only two. That would be a bad decision. But I, And I'm not letting her mess around around the mixer because she's fascinated by how fast the thing spins and wants to, and that's not good. But um, I, I thought about when we started this, well, I could just make cookies and let Lucy eat them, but I want her to be a part of this with me. So we both need to participate. And if I just do everything and have her sit there watching, she's going to realize I get the cookies either way. So I want her to help in everything she can help with. So she, she dips in the, or she tips out the, the vanilla um, and here is a picture of her dipping in the flour. Um, I measure it for her because um, she doesn't have that good a fine motor skill, but I show her what I'm doing. We talk about the ratios. Um, she's so stinking smart. She's already picking up, oh, here's the order we do it, and she knew flour was the next thing we needed yesterday. The second rule I follow is the most miserable, 
When Lucy tries to do something, if it is not dangerous, I have to let it happen. So our first cookies, um, our first cookies were garbage. Um, in fact, the first time Lucy tried a chocolate chip cookie, she took one bite and didn't want it anymore. And the reason for that is because when we put them on the, the baking sheet, Lucy immediately was like, smash, like it was Play-Doh. And that's not how you make cookies. You need it to be in a ball shape so that as it melts down, the outside doesn't cook too fast and burn. But because of Lucy's, um, the cookies burnt all over the outside and the insides were still pretty much raw. Another problem with Lucy is she doesn't think raw cookie dough is good, um, which I've been begging her to try it, and she's like, no, daddy eat. Um, but, But if Lucy tries to smash the cookies down, we have to leave them. And this is a picture from yesterday She's already learned not to do that because I keep telling her it's wrong. And I keep telling her it's wrong because after we make the cookies, we talk about if the cookies were good or bad. And so I'm presenting to her over and over the idea that, Lucy, these cookies, they they don't look like what they should, but we're going to get there. And and so we talk. And I I will tell you, here's a picture of our first cookies. And they might look good. Um, I don't know how they look to you. I think the white balance is off on them. But um, what's, what's sad about these cookies is the first, or the first time we made cookies, she smashed them down. The second time when I turned my back, she added another heaping spoonful of flour. And when she did that, the cookies went from, I, I was like really confident, like we got cookies here, to, huh, I wonder if I can pull all that out, to, oh, nope, she's trying to mix it. You know, she just, it, it just fell apart right away is the point. Um, But our our second cookies were so dense that, in fact, the first bite Lucy took of one of those cookies, she went, oh, daddy, microwave, daddy, no. And she didn't even want to eat it. And so I had to break it into little pieces so she'd just get chocolate chips. Because Lucy likes chocolate chips, but she didn't like the cookies. This is a picture of a cookie from yesterday. You'll notice it's got a a nicer shape. Um, It's got an appropriate amount of chocolate chips. Um, And there's a little, see, I don't know if you guys can see this, but from my angle, there's like a little bit of golden browning here. They didn't burn, but they were maybe in the oven a little bit too long because our other child was having a meltdown. But the next rule is we have to eat them before the next batch. Um, So those first cookies that were gross, and they were like raw and burnt at the same time, Um, I soldiered through, and all week I ate those cookies. They were really bad, and I just kept thinking, I know what I want a cookie to be. And I'd ask Lucy, do you want a bite? And she'd go, no, and she'd run away, and then she'd say chocolate chip, because that's what she wanted. But we do this together, and so yesterday we made our third batch of chocolate chip cookies, and here she is shoving it into her mouth, She liked it so much more than the first two that she just kept shoving until the crumbs just went everywhere, which is why they're under the chair that Jess is probably sitting on. But for the first time, Lucy asked about cookies because we finally kind of did it right. And church, I just want to tell you, we didn't really do it right. There's so much more to go. We, We didn't have the right distribution on the tray. We had all these things not working out, but we're getting closer. And as we get closer, I'm excited to keep making cookies with her. My last rule is I don't make other cookies. And this is the most painful rule. Because when Jess was pregnant, we didn't really do cookies because she was pregnant over the summer. 
And so it was hot in our house, and we just have window units. And if you turn the, if you turn, if you turn the stove on, you just regret it all night. Um, and then when she had Levi, it became clear very fast that dairy and chocolate, if she has either of those things, um, she's breastfeeding, and Levi just does not handle it well. And so when we made our first batch of cookies, when Lucy turned two, the first thing I thought was, when she goes to bed, I think I'm going to make my own cookies. And I'll just hide those cookies. And then I felt guilty because the whole point of making cookies with her is I want to build this time together with her where we invest in that time together, where we're making it together, where over time, I'm hoping that we're not just making cookies. Um, She helped me make Brussels sprouts this week. She's kind of helped me make pasta. She throws the noodles in the bowl one at a time, but it kind of helps because it's cute and it keeps her entertained. But but my goal is is I want her to learn how to do these things, and I want to do them together with her, and I want to show her like, hey, this is what this could be if we keep doing it together. There's the community aspect and the individual aspect of this. And I, I hope it's, it's kind of clear that even though I'm talking about cookies, we're not talking about cookies. For, for, for some of you, this fall has been hopefully an amazing time where, where you've grown in your relationship with God and your relationship with the believers around you. You've been making really good cookies. And... And the thing is, is you might say, well, you know, I only need cookies once a year, which I think is insane. Um, but, but my hope and my prayer is you, you start to think about fellowship as, as making cookies together. And, and it may not be helpful to think of everyone else in your small group as a toddler, um, unless you also think of yourself as a toddler. Um, but, but there's this, this beauty when community comes together and builds on something and they do it. And they do it, and they do it, and over time they get better and better and better about it. And they get better and better and better at it. There are men that I call with regularity to talk about how I'm doing. I I have a a mentor that I call probably monthly, and we essentially do light week together. And I tell him, here's how I've been doing on things we talked about last month. Here's something I'm noticing. Can you be praying for me? And, And he will speak truth very directly to me, and he's a mentor, but he will also tell me, Matt, here's something I'm struggling with. And I do that with him, and I've got men in the church that I meet with, and we do the same thing because we need it. And we need to not think of it as, I'm just going to do this every once in a while, and it's going to make me feel better, and it'll get me to the next time we do it in however many weeks or months or years. It's a pattern of life. Because when we do this, we're participating in life together. If, if John, the author, were here and, and, and what we've read from his book, I think the thing he would say is most important is the, the Christian walk is like doing the pattern we've been doing the last eight weeks over and over and over. It's something that we can't just say, well, I'm, I'm going to do it once and that felt good and now I can move on. I think a, a, a sad reality for us as believers is a lot of times we, we think of, all right, I can check that box. And we don't even mean to. We just don't think about how what we're doing applies tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year. And so we fall into these patterns where instead of trying to pursue living in life with God and fellowship with each other, walking in the light, loving each other, we, instead of doing these things as a way of living, we see them as an assignment for a small group series. And we do really good when we're told about it every week, but we don't do really good as soon as it's not the main thing we're talking about. 
And I, I want to challenge you today to be thinking about this and to be thinking deeply about this. If you're in a small group, I just encourage you to think, how are we going to do this in December? If you're not meeting in December, which is perfectly reasonable, how am I going to do this in January? How is our group going to do this in January? If you're a member of a small group, you may say, well, I need to wait on my leader, but go tell your leader, hey, the way we've been doing things, can we build on that? Don't, don't stay put. Don't, don't say, well, you know, it, it didn't happen. Don't say, well, we don't need cookies anymore. Say, hey, can we bake some more cookies? Our band is going to come out in a moment. Um, this is your cue band, because I did that poorly. Um, and in, in, just, in just a moment, we're, gonna, we're going to partake of communion together. Um, and we're doing it at the end of the service today, um, because I, I wanted to give you all a little bit of time to really reflect and to really think about the life that hopefully you've been experiencing these last 10 weeks. And for some of you, maybe you're like, I don't feel like I've experienced that life these last 10 weeks. And if, if that's where you're at, I want to encourage you to start thinking, well, I can't make other people make me do things. What do I need to do? What step do I need to change? Thinking about our, our starting point, what script in my head leads me to follow the same pattern even when the situation changes? For, for some of you, this has been, a, I, I've gotten so much good feedback about just how encouraged people have been in this series and just how deep they've been going in their small groups. And the question is, how, how do you keep doing that? And also, who in your life needs to hear about the life you've been experiencing? I, I want to encourage you to not settle and not say, well, we did that and that was great. And now that we're done with it, let's move on to the next thing. The fellowship that John wants us to have doesn't just go away when we're done reading through First John. He, he envisions this as the practice of the church, the way we live in light together, the way we love each other, and the way we experience that life in God through the Spirit and through our relationships with each other. If you're sitting out there and, and you're not a believer and you're hearing all of this and you're saying, I, I don't have this life, I, I want to encourage you to, to, after the service, come find me. I want to encourage you when we do communion, I'm going to sit right over there. If you have any questions, feel free to come up and ask me them. I, I'd love to answer any questions you have. For all of you, I, I want to encourage you when we're, we're about to invite you up to take communion, but the band's just going to play for a few minutes um, and while they pray, I want to encourage you, before you come up, to consider what a next step is this week. Because when we think about what Jesus did on the cross, he did it so that we could have life. When Jesus died for our sins and rose again, if you, if you read through his words, his intention was not, all right, now your sins are forgiven the end. His, he didn't die to save us from something. We were already dead. He died so that we could have life. He saved us for something. I think that so often in my life, I'm thankful for what Jesus kept me from without thinking of what he bought me, the price he redeemed me for, his blood that, that I would go and I would follow him. And so I want to encourage you to think about that life that we have. Jesus did not die just to save us from something, but to save us for something. And as, as we come to the end of the series, I just want to encourage you and to challenge you. Don't make this series end and just go, all right, we're good. I did that. I checked that off. Now we're going to move into the holiday season or Thanksgiving or whatever's coming next. But I want to encourage you to consider the patterns we've been developing and say, I want to keep doing these. 
Because the only way it happens is when we take the steps to do them together. We've got to say, I'm going to bring, I'm going to come, I'm going to bake cookies, and let other people say, I'm going to help. And then maybe sometimes you bake good cookies, sometimes you bake whatever it was me and Lucy baked the first two times. But the hope is that over time, together, we're doing this well. And when other people join in, we look at them and say, I remember when that's how I bake cookies. And we help them get to the same point we're at, and we help them grow, and they help us grow at the same time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, as we see in John. And we thank you that the word was life and light. We thank you that you sent your son, that we might have life in you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you sent him that we might have access to you and the life that you give. Father, we pray right now as we spend this time in reflection um, that you would just be drawing to mind in us just where we maybe have a wrong script, where maybe we, we think the wrong way about our next steps. And we, we, we say, well, I'm just going to keep doing things the same way and we'll see what happens. We, we pray that instead of thinking about what's inside or outside of our power and just saying, well, that's not my choice, we'd instead think, well, how can we pursue life in you together? Father, we thank you that you sent your son. And Jesus, we thank you that close to 2,000 years ago, you sat at a table with 12 men, one of whom would betray you. And you took the bread and you broke it. And you said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And you took the cup and you passed it and said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, as we reflect and pray on your son's great sacrifice and his great love, we pray that we would not just think about the sins that have been forgiven, but we would think about the way that Jesus did that. He overcame the world that we might overcome it as well. We thank you that he did that not just so that we would no longer be dead, but that we could have life and have it to the full with him and with you. And we pray we would not settle for anything less. We pray we would recognize that it takes work to do this, but we pray that we would faithfully follow you and we would do it in community and that we would pursue life in such a way that we don't leave it behind. Lord, we thank you that we can approach the table and we can share in communion together. We thank you that it was your body and your blood. And we pray as we spend this time that your spirit would just be moving in us and among us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.